Hey everybody, Michael Carl Erie, Timothy John Stafford, and Seth Thomas Charles Erie the first Erie. is in the house today. Hey. Good morning, Voxology. Good afternoon or good evening, <laughs> whenever you're watching this or listening. There's no watching. And if you saw our faces, you'd understand why we are completely <laughs> uh, audio uh, podcast. Although, you know, there's some rumors that, that we might add a YouTube channel sometime down the down the road, but. I've got Seth Erie next to me today. Hi. You want to say hi to everybody? Hey, hey, hi, everybody. So what's up, Seth Erie? It's it's people are getting used to you being on the podcast yeah. every week. Yeah, I know it's going to be such yeah. a crushing yeah. blow when yeah. you go back to school, huh? Yeah. 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 How are you today? Uh, it's good. It's good. Hey Tim. Whoa. What? I hate. I I face on. Tim, please. <laughs> Hit the theme song. Man, there it is. I mean, he doesn't mess around. He's, you know, no. I'm wanting to do some chit-chat. Nope. He's like, nope, I've got a job to do. He's here for his theme song. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I have a job to do. And then what he does is on Mondays, he will keep bugging me about when it comes out. And then when it comes out, he will listen to his, <clears throat> you know, the first 30 seconds uh, over and over and over again. Which, Just to be like honest, is more than my wife listens. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, she's in the back going, true. Um, she gets this melodious voice all the time. Why would she tune in special? So, Timothy, good morning. Good morning. So, what's what's your week been like? Now, I know it's, it's not morning probably when you're listening, but it is to us. And um, <laughs> we talked earlier this week. Uh, but I'm, just, I'm checking in with my friend. Timothy, how are you? What's happening? Great. Yeah? I had a great week, yeah. I had a lot of outdoor activities this week. Oh, let's... Okay, name three. Well, we bought some um, stand-up paddle boards. So we've been out on... It's been very hot here, so we've been trying to be in the water as much as possible. I love that. We went river rafting. We took the kids for Whoa. the first time out on the rapids, which Whoa. was Whoa. a fun adventure. Wow. My kids are... Especially my daughter, who's popped on here a few times, Mazzy. She's absolutely fearless. Yeah. So we're going through some rapids where the guy, the guy that is guiding us, is a good friend of our mutual friend and someone I've known my whole life. And he's just like, "All right, this is these are kind of gnarly ones. Like you might want to get down there and grab on." Maz is just like, "Are you sure?" Because she just wants to like. And then we get done. She's like, "Is that it? Was that it? Are there bigger ones?" <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna vote for her for president. No. Just when the time comes. When the time comes. She. Uh, I have no doubt. Mazzy, so yeah. 2050. 2050. I used to post these little things on my Instagram all the time. They're just different pictures of Ripley from the Alien movies and just say this is Mazzy in 40 or 50 years. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And if, and if you know Mazzy, I mean, that is absolutely like correct. Yeah, she'll be, she'll be, the, she'll be that lady up there killing the aliens, keeping us all safe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, and we'll need protection from the aliens because we'll all be living on Mars. <laughs> well, I wrote this thing down too. She, this week we were talking, and oh, somebody had a sign. Maybe it was at my parents' house. It was somewhere that has a bunch of knickknack signs. And yes, there was one that says like "Angels are always watching over us." Oh boy! And she was like, "Like when we're asleep, or what about when we're in the bathroom?" Whoa! And we were like, "Ha ha, these are funny kid questions." But then I was like. 
because there was these implications of like, I think my son said like, like, we're in the shower when we're naked or angels watching us. And I was like, haha, that's weird. But then I was like, Nephilim. That's where mm, they came from. That's where the Nephilim come in. That's right. Well, and, and then I'm sure you explain, sat down and explained it to him. So that was. I said, the, no, that's weird. And then, right. they, and then they didn't sleep for a week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Timothy, uh, it's been a busy week on the interwebs. <laughs> it's been very busy. Um, shocker. Uh, I just want to let you know your boy, Sean, what's his name? Holy Schlamoli. Yeah, Sean say uh, Foyt. Yes. There was a and 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 you know, if there is ever big somebody, shocker news. Big shocker news that he's enriched himself. Um a ton. I didn't read the article, but it was Rolling Stone had a big old article about it. Yeah, he made five million dollars off his uh you know, hey, that we're being persecuted, let us worship. Yeah. What a yeah. Yeah. So I you're definitely happy about that. Jim's trouble time. And then and then the coup de gras <laughs> this week not is to be that outdone. not to be outdone. No way. Not to let a new cycle go by. Jordan Peterson um, dropped just a, and I'm, I'm, I'm being minorly sarcastic here, just a bomb of truth on the Christian church. Minorly? When you get a YouTube, when you get a YouTube video that says, message for the Christian churches, and there he is, looking scholarly. And, um, and it was interesting. I, 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 so I have, of course... I mean, the only the only other time I've you know received a message for the Christian church is in the book of Revelation when Jesus seems to drop seven of them <laughs> on seven flesh and blood churches. So this was, you know, this was um, I didn't realize I was expecting and wanting this, but there it was. And um, if if you don't know who Jordan Peterson is, um, he is a best-selling author. He is a YouTube just crazy man in terms of millions of views. Um, he's a psycholo- psychologist who became famous for refusing uh, to uh, obey university mandated speech around, I think it was um, transgendered issues, transgender issues. And uh, but then he's, he's been lecturing and, and he has a very big appeal to young men. And so I've encountered him because I'm curious about what the appeal is to young men. And um, he released a 10-minute video, um, Message to the Christian Church. And regardless of whether or not you're a fan um, of Jordan Peterson, I need to lay my cards on the table and say, well, um, I'm interested because obviously he's speaking something to a large audience. And I'm always curious as to what that something is. Yeah. Um, and so I, so I watched the, uh, I watched the video and, um, if you've not watched it, that's saying a lot because Mike send Mike videos all the time and he does not click play. No, I do not. I do not. I, I, um, I restrict my, my video (laughs) wanderings, uh, to uh, mostly things about the Browns or the Buckeyes. And, um, so, I mean, that's a different story. But what, one of the things that he does, and it's a fascinating thing. So he starts off with uh, talking about how great the stakes are right now. 
He even ends it by saying the end is nigh. And I've yeah. I've not heard the end is nigh. Um, since the I, last time it was nigh. Yes, probably since 1980. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, and then we were in the middle of the Cold War. So, I mean, that yeah. drew my attention right there. But, Y2K. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. Y2K, the end was nigh in Y2K. And if you're young and don't realize that, that's another, you know, dated reference. But... <sighs> Um, he kind of goes on a riff uh, of all the ways that young men are being uh, warred against. And, uh, and, and this is a message that's really resonated with loads of young men. Um, and so there's something, I don't want to just dismiss it out of hand, because there's something, there's something there that's resonating with people. Um, he, he says that one of the jobs of the church is to remind young men that there is a woman to find and a garden to, um, cultivate and a land to conquer and a ladder to heaven to build. And he's just in it. And it was echoes of John Eldridge, like early, early nineties, John Eldridge. Uh, but you know, you need a a beauty to win and a battle to fight and a purpose yeah. to live or something. I don't remember what exactly it was. Um, but then he gets very, very passionate about for the church. Your job is to invite the young men back to the church. And he says, very driscally. ask more of them, not less, you know, promise, tell them what to wear, tell them um, how to show up, ask more of them, not less of them. And, um, and he really, I mean, he's like, put billboards up. And he gives us what to say. Young men, you are welcome here. And then he says, put an arrow on the billboards to flyers. Now, this is after he called the church outdated, which is awesome. So billboards and flyers are the way to definitely go on this. <laughs> um, and put an arrow. And I'm not kidding. He says this. Put an arrow. Phone and, bank. And, uh, and a phone bank. Yes. <laughs> Yes, we called it a phone tree, <laughs> um, which is just amazing. So, so, uh, but then, so we, I mean, the call to action is to for churches to invite young men. Yeah. Uh, but then he he kind of wraps up the video, and this is the 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 snippet that's kind of got a lot of airtime. He's, and I'm paraphrasing him, but it's like churches quit fighting for social justice, quit. Uh, trying to save the planet attend to some souls that's what you're supposed to do all right so quit fighting for social justice quit trying to save the bloody i think he put bloody planet in there attend to some souls that's what you're supposed to do so now that we have our marching orders um (laughs) I feel like we need Thank to you, reformat Mr. the Peterson. podcast. Yes. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna change it to the Young Men Are Welcome Here uh, podcast, um, <laughs> and we'll and we'll hand out flyers, and it'll be it'll be great. No, no, we no. should do a satirical podcast that's just that. Young Men Welcome Here. Yeah. Now he's on. So so, and I, I'm doing this a little tongue in cheek because it's so he even says at the beginning he's like this is so presumptuous and it turns out. Oh yes, it actually was very presumptuous. <laughs> um, but but there are two strands here that are super interesting. The one is the whole masculinity bit yeah. that that we had an iteration with with John Eldridge. We had an iteration with with Driscoll. Now we have an iteration with Jordan Peterson. 
And so there's something, because I want to be perpetually curious and humble and learning, there's something going on that isn't being met. Um, uh, and I, I don't know what I don't know what exactly that is. I'm curious to hear from our listeners if if some of you guys are fans of Jordan Peterson, what is the message that um, is attractive or that you feel like is missing? Um, Eldridge, and, and it's like John Eldridge back in the 90s, th there was something he was tapping into that's true and accurate. Uh, I'm not sure the remedy or the diagnosis is correct, but I remember him saying something like, you know, for the church, the highest view of masculinity is to become a deacon, you know, <laughs> or sit in meetings as an elder or something. And it was like, yeah, yeah there's, that's true, right? I mean, there's, that's pretty flimsy. Um, but but it's fascinating that we can't just escape this what is manhood kind of conversation, and the the pushback uh, against uh, the idea that that uh, men are some persecuted um, young men in particular some persecuted group that's just interesting to me whether or not um, any of that turns out to be true. So that so one theme of the video is that, and and I remember. Um, years ago, uh, reading about the feminization of the church, the, then the right. author was asking, so if most of the clergy are men, why are most of the attendants women? And, and you know, and, and the diagnosis ranged from anything to, well, or from, um, we don't have enough cookouts um, to, um, <laughs> you know, our worship songs are our, our love songs to our boyfriend Jesus, and no guy's going to sing that. Which you know felt like missing sort of the bigger sort of points. I mean, and the remedy seemed to be them. like turn church into a Super Bowl party, and it'll be it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting conversation to me about about the masculinity bit. But this idea, quit worrying about saving the planet, quit doing social justice, just attend the souls. That's what you're supposed to do. That sucker. That I mean, that is widely, widely held, that view right there. And um, we've spent a lot of time on the podcast saying, I, I don't think that's an accurate reflection of the ministry of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the focus <laughs> yep. of Jesus. And so um, we'll spend a little more time on that today. Timothy, do you today. have any thoughts as you're hearing all of this? We've got a million of them. I think that um, men, I think one of the large reasons that there's been these cries for recapturing masculinity. I'm just talking off the top of my head because I didn't know we were talking about this. Is I didn't that, that male power over dynamic is starting to die out and it's hard to find your place when you think that that's what your place is, is to be that everything should be catered to you as a man. It's so interesting that this came out today. I don't know if it came out today or yesterday, this Peterson thing. Uh, I think it was and earlier yesterday. In the week. Yeah. AOC went on this, long thing because she was like this guy walked up to her on the steps and was talking about her in, in like really suggestive sexual language and like really aggressive and making a joke about her appearance and stuff to her on the steps of the Capitol and the police didn't do anything about it. And so she had this long conversation on social media asking men questions about masculinity and why they feel the need to do this and how do you 
do you stand by and let men do this when you see it or do you step up what's the conversations you shared this wow. really engaged nuanced conversation with everybody on instagram wow people writing in she was putting their responses people were interacting together talking about literally this topic wow masculinity how toxic it is and how do we diffuse that and right. how do we edify both men and women in the ways that are actually healthy and like productive and so when i see this kind of stuff with peterson or the eldridge stuff rubbed me the wrong way even then and i was young then and driscoll obviously it's just like i see people who are losing their stature at being over the top of everybody else and they're like hey we got to get back to that yeah stop caring about other things let's get back to caring about men having all the position and comfort they can have and it's just so transparent to me it feels yeah. gross makes me feel gross being a man couple we have a a couple of incredibly gifted women on the voxology board yeah and um um they're texting their responses to this and and one of our friends was just saying you know how the 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 older male arrogance and hubris um and almost the condescending big word i know best yeah. sort of thing is so triggering for people because it's certainly not uh, a, a message that comes from, hey, I'm here to love and support. Um, <laughs> As we talked about in the last episode too, like Jesus with the woman at the well and different things where he just like really edified and spoke into and kind of broke power structures in ways. Yeah, I don't see how Christian men are still trying to build these institutions opposite of that. Yeah. I mean, I get it through the history of mankind, but it's just is baffling to me that it's so... I guess if you want to be at the top of the food chain and someone's telling you you deserve to be at the top of the food chain, that that's going to be appealing to people. And I'm speaking about men, mostly young white men. Yeah. Well, and and I wonder if the... And again, I'm th totally thinking out loud here. Um, I wonder if, you know, there... there uh, the issue is that there isn't a vision of masculinity because I don't, I mean, I, I don't even know. I'm, I'm literally trying to talk off the top of my head and this is what it <laughs> sounds like. Um, so the idea that there's biblical masculinity is a complete, complete fallacy. Um, there's masculinity and there's a lot of it in the Bible, uh, but biblical masculinity I mean, that, that whole conception of putting biblical in front of something and then lifting a certain pattern or template up yeah. um, out of that just is so nonsensical. Um, but when you, when you look in the scriptures, you see evidence of masculinity at its best and masculinity at its worst. Yeah. And, and you see it filtered through all sorts of personality types and circumstances and spiritual environments or whatever. Um, but I wonder if there there is a legit critique that says, um, and I don't know. I do. I, I genuinely don't know that no one no one is teaching young men what it means to be men anymore. Yeah. Um, and uh, th there are no you know rituals. There are no um, kind of induction ceremonies. There are no ways in which all, all all young men know is what they see on social media about what it is to be a man, and that's. Right. Conquer. I mean, that forms an imagination that then just, you know, falls prey to stuff like this. And I don't know. 
I don't know if that's true or not, but when you get to the church and the only thing that's being talked about is biblical masculinity as, well, you're the provider, you're the protector, you're the whatever, I see that filling a void, the same void that sort of Peterson and others sort of fill, but I still think that's sidestepping the real heart of the issue, right? That we've lifted off some 1950s template from American culture and overlaid it onto the text. And there's a massive hole that still remains um, that um, no matter how much we stamp a definition of biblical masculinity over men, we all know we never live up to it. Yeah. And, um, and that, that gap between what we should be like and what we are uh, seems like very fertile ground for people like Driscoll and uh, Eldridge and others to sort of step in there and try to flesh it out. Um, and, and, yeah. and I think that itself exacerbates the problem. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah. It's all, it, it feels weirdly ceremonial. It's like the, um, you know, when you're a pastor and you get to a point where you realize that celebrating mother's or father's day in such a big way at church on Sunday morning, it, all of a sudden you're like, oh, this can be triggering and harmful for some people, right? There's that moment where as a church in church leadership, you realize that there are people out there who had abusive fathers or absentee totally. fathers or, yeah, or, you know, X, Y, and Z, all these different things. And that when it is being celebrated or these flowers are being handed out to mothers, but there's mothers or women who could not have children or, right. you know, all the different things you're like, wow, this is a very nuanced and varied group of people with different journeys. And we can't just do these huge blanket ceremonial things totally. that we do because they're fun because they actually harm people. Yeah. I think the masculinity thing too is like being the provider, being the, it, they're still, they're still power structures and it's weird when they get like it, in my house, my wife is the breadwinner. I'm not the breadwinner. I've never really been the breadwinner. I mean, we were first, you know, what a dumb phrase too, breadwinner. This stuff starts <laughs> to get me riled up. Go get like that it, bread. It's just a weird, I, we just cling to these things and I don't know if masculinity is maybe we don't even understand what that term means anymore. And we're sort of clinging at these like ideal ideals that have been built up the ward cleaver and the stuff from the fifties, like you said, or yeah, the eighties, it was masculinity was, was, I mean, geez, Louise, it was Schwarzenegger and Stallone and it, yes. you know, masculinity shifted to these like huge monstrosities and, yeah. you know, killing thousands of people on screen that we can cheer for. And it's like, they, it kind of shifts what masculinity is, but, I don't know. It's yeah. what a it's all I know is that the more I learn about the Bible, the more I learn that God is not a fan of people exerting power over other people. That's and right. so much of what the definition of masculinity is is exerting power over quite a few other people. Yes. Yep. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that's what comes naturally. See, the thing that's so easy, this is where uh I think our compliment some of our complementarian brothers and sisters really really miss it that this power over thing is a result of the fall it's not a result of god's design mm. you know when when one of the curses is that that your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you and that's the curse um that that it's now a power struggle because yeah. the word rule your desire excuse me the word desire there isn't sexual desire desire to master and control the word rule is the world the word that just means raw exercise of power yeah and um 
And so you have this power struggle that the Christian church is just sort of baptized. Um, I mean, and it, and it's and it's utterly and absolutely tragic that this that what what is part of the fall and the curse gets enshrined as God's ideal. Yeah. Um, and and then you have a guy like Peterson who, I mean. He's not, he is not, uh, this call to the church sounds nothing like Jesus. Nothing like Jesus. Not a darn thing. That like would be Jesus. a really interesting history book to write, is to write it through that vantage point of the ways in which we have, we continue to build that structure throughout all of history. And like when you read like, like Howard Zinn or someone that, like the People's History of the United States or the Native People's History of the United States, and it's reading the history of the United States. Have you read that? It's a... History I have textbook it. where he's written all of history through the lens of the marginalized people. Oh wow! The people who weren't in the power who wrote the most of the history books and stuff. So it's a very interesting read because you learn a lot about, you know, who was hurt, who was who was less than through all these different eras. It'd be interesting to do that with, because as you're talking, it makes me think about the war language and the war rhetoric and how much we, even in this, it's about. Um, for in this particular conversation, it's about men being um, having something taken away from us. So it's again the persecuted. We're the persecuted. It's it's how Sean Foyt made five million dollars. It's there's even all these joke memes in the on the internet this week with the I don't know how many of the um, web telescope pictures you looked at. Oh, all of them. just amazing. Yeah, and so there's people saying things like like these jokes that like oh the telescope is so woke because it's like provoking these conversations about how big the universe is and someone's like we really need to check in on like has anyone checked in on ken ham like seeing the (laughs) dated age of the universe and but even then like the woman in texas who got pulled over in the carpool lane she was pregnant and the cop was like hey is there someone else in your car and she's like well yeah and he's like well he's looking in her car he's like i don't see anybody and she's like well they're in my stomach and he's like, oh, well, it's not considered a passenger or human if, if it's not outside of your body. And she's like, oh, that's interesting. And it's provoked this bigger conversation just oh, about well. like, yeah. you know, things going on. But so much of this is always based in you're taking away from me. Right. I'm persecuted. And, you know, I see that so much with the church. Like, men, we, we feminize the church so much. Now it's not for men anymore. Like, you took this away from us. We got to beef it back up so that we can get men back in the place that they deserve to be at. And it's just, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's nuts. And lo and behold, what we're going to talk about today actually fits into this. Big Divine. combo. <clears throat> yes. Uh, and, and obviously, I mean, we're, we're two dudes trying to figure this out, and we have sons. Two masculine so dudes Very to this out. Very masculine dudes. As my hair is in a bun right now. Well, bro, you know... <laughs> I sit in awe of the opportunities you have with your hair. Um, but as we raise sons, what does that mean and what does that look like? And, um, you know, you as you channel, as young men channel lust, rage, ambition, yeah. the quest for significance, right? How do, you, how do you make room for that in the kingdom and yet have it be of the kingdom? Um, it's uh, interesting because with my kids... Between my daughter and my son, my daughter portrays more of what would be in air quotes, masculine tendencies, more adventurous, climbing outside, Mm -hmm. running around, being confident. And my son is more quiet, likes to read, 
um, doesn't really play a lot of sports where she does like already those dynamics don't fit into the structures that I was handed. Yes. And there's no way I'm going to put them into situations where they feel like they're broken because they don't fit into those categories. So that makes me question all of it. Absolutely. And, um, yeah. And, and it's once you escape the idea that there's some biblical prescription for what men are to be, um, <clears throat> you can invite people into Jesus following as men and as women. And, um, and that Jesus doesn't cancel out our masculinity or femininity. But what Jesus does instead is, is he, he reshapes it along the lines of the original vocation to be agents of mutual and reciprocal blessing, to care uh, for creation and, and pull out its potential so that all flourish, um, to be co-priests together and participants in the governance of creation. I mean, all of that is way bigger than just being a provider or um, you know, just knowing what to do with your anger. And so there is a vision for what it is that we're to be doing as men and as women. Uh, and it's just so much larger than the, hey, just 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 focus on the soul bit of this. Um, I just think that's total rubbish. And not if you've got a message for the church, it should be this: repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <laughs> there we go. It doesn't take ten minutes, but I think that's the one we need to hear now. Let's talk a little bit, Tim, about evangelism. All right. So evangelism is this big old word that uh, Tim and I grew up with. Uh, it's, it's what we do when we share our faith or go witnessing or tell others about Jesus. The goal of evangelism was to, uh, they called it soul winning back in the day. The idea is that people would yield their lives to Jesus. And while we think that is a truly awesome thing to encourage people to do, um, we're, we're, just a little skeptical that the way it's been construed is consistent with um, some of the the deeper threads of New Testament teaching and the practice of Jesus. One of the questions we've received uh, from someone on our glorious Patreon team was um, about the gift of evangelism. Um, There are these lists that Paul seems to give doesn't seem to, but gives of different uh, spiritual gifts or contributions that people make to the body of Christ. And in uh, in uh, Ephesians, he talks about, you know, God gave teachers and apostles and evangelists. Um, we even have examples of evangelists kind of in the book of Acts. And so, um, you know, the question we received is, well, what about those people? And <clears throat> And I do think absolutely there are people uniquely... Uh, gifted at the proclamation of the gospel. Um, Paul was certainly one of those, right? Before he was anything else, he was he was an evangelist and a, a pastor who planted churches. But the fact that there exists an evangelism gift implies that that's not the job of everybody in the community. Um, in the same way that there's a teaching gift, that doesn't mean that everybody is is a teacher. Now we're all teachers in, you know, a general respect. And so, yes, we're all witnesses in a general respect. But um, I think that the, the idea that some people are specifically called into the ministry of evangelism, whatever that 
is and looks like, then it's one of those things that um, I think implies then that we as a community are to focus on um, witnessing and, you know, evangelizing um, in different sorts of terms along different sets of lines. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. You agree with that? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I was actually thinking about this yesterday because I was trying, I'm teaching on Sunday and I was reading, going through Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians as our previous president called it. And um, <laughs> thinking about this, not knowing that we were talking about this in particular, but what Paul was doing um, by having these churches set up, having people there that were kind of doing the church, and then his role. I was trying to think about in terms of like, you know, you make a big thing to save souls, and then you establish a community that he would check in on. But those, it was also at the beginning of the journey of, quote unquote, the church. Yeah. I don't know how much that changes the conversation. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I just yeah. think it's all very interesting. It is very, very interesting. So I have no doubt, and and that there have been classically people sort of set apart to do this. I feel like I have a teaching gift that I'm supposed to deploy right. in the uh, in the body of Christ in whatever way, shape, or form you know it turns out to be fruitful. Great. I have the uh, gift of antagonism. Yes, if there is a Halloween gift, <laughs> um, absolutely. The antagonism. No, dude, you're a pastor. People who know you know this. You'll you'll soon discover this for yourself, and it's pretty amazing. And that's why people love you. But um, I want to talk about uh, a little a bit more, extending the conversation into. Okay, so we we talked about how um, we bear the name. Uh, of this Jesus, uh, that that is a that is something stamped on the our way of living, that is something stamped on um, how it is that we understand ourselves and our place in the world, um, and then we talked about okay, well, what does that mean to bear the name? Well, we talked about just showing off the beauty of Jesus. If if Jesus is the image of the invisible God, then then we don't have to make Jesus more beautiful than he is. We don't have to add sets of steak knives or free cars to the gospel. <laughs> but we are warring against the ugliness that is accumulated around the name of Jesus um, in the course of 2,000 years. And, you know, specifically, it's like really accelerated these days, it seems. So there's an individual component where I bear the name of Jesus individually and I live in a way that wants to draw attention to how beautiful Jesus is. That's what we talked about last week. But communally, there is a role the community has to play in this. And, and one of the things that our friend Tim Gombas has pointed out, that the only place where Jesus is proclaimed in some evangelistic sense um, outside of the book of Acts is when Paul in 1 Corinthians says, every time the Lord, or every time the God's people celebrate the Lord's Supper, the Lord's death is proclaimed until he comes. That that, yeah. that communal supper is proclaiming something. Yeah. And that really, that thought kind of expanded my horizons into, yeah. oh, well, well, what does it mean for the community to proclaim or the community to bear the name of Jesus? So I do as an individual. And so, you know, how I am as I go through life, am I adding to the ugliness or am I, uh, resisting the ugliness and warring for the beauty of Jesus of Nazareth. 
there is a, a role that the community plays. And, and just as a reminder of what the church turns out to be, the, 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 the result of the death of the preaching, the life, the death, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, the result was a so, new social order, a political community that proclaimed that Jesus was King and Lord, and that this community embodied and witnessed to the reality of the kingdom of God. Yeah, that was what that's what the church turns out to be. And so, um, one of the major points that comes from understanding the church in that way is that the role of the church in society is to be transformed, not to be the agent of transformation of others. Yeah. The focus of the New Testament and the exhortations of the New Testament is not the world, it's the church. And so when we have a vision that says, let's take our Bible and the exhortations therein and see that as a blueprint for how it is that we're to make policy decisions for other people, I think that is a very, very inappropriate use of power in the church. Um, And that all of that grasping, that whole political imagination of sort of imposing our definitions of righteousness uh, upon others, um, I I think is very, very misguided, and it's tragically done massive amounts of harm to people. The goal of the church is to be transformed. That's it. Into the image of Jesus. That's it. There's no but, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. There is no then counter to say, okay, now that you're transformed, go transform others. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, as individuals, we do not set to, we, we work hard to not be in positions that set us above others. Well, so too the church. And there was a video circulating, someone on Twitter hit us up with it, that, that, and I have no idea what it was, but it was, it was this declaration that Christians have legal and political power over the United States, that, the, that Congress, that they went through each branch of government and decreed that they will only exercise power in righteous ways. I mean, it was, they referred to the Seven Mountain Mandate. I mean, it was just this beautiful picture of everything that's wrong, Right, yeah. all of the temptations that Jesus resisted when Satan, uh, you know, approached him; those are the temptations embodied in sort of this, this sort of public declaration thing, where the goal of the church is to exercise power over people, and that just couldn't be more true. Paul even himself says this when he's dealing with massive, massive sin in the church. He says, "What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church?" Uh, are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. And so the focus and, 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 and the implications of this statement are really profound for how it is we do politics and how it is we understand the role of the church in the world. I thought the role of the church was to be salt and light. And that meant we are the guardians of morality. Hmm. Um, and what's fascinating is salt and light are very passive metaphors, by the way, when you look at them. But, and they also mean, they were also an invitation for Jesus' followers to take up the calling of Israel uh, back when Jesus used this at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. But the conception that somehow the role of the church is to engage uh, the culture in ways that where we're trying to transform the culture um, is totally antithetical. And I know this is a big, like, 
I know this is a big statement, but I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced after multiple readings of the New Testament uh, that there is very little footing to stand on for people who want to say that the role of the church is to influence society. Yeah. I think the role of the church is to be influenced by Christ. And that magnetism um, is what turns out to be the salt and the light. You know what I mean? It's the corporate totally. embodiment. And yeah. for, for proof, and, and I know... Uh, I know people are going to disagree. People way smarter than me disagree, and hallelujah for that. Um, but I just want to state it, state it very boldly, that the that we have envisioned uh, individual evangelism as me having an answer and someone else needing that answer, like a doctor yeah. with a cancer yeah. patient. The difference is the cancer patient knows they're sick, and so um, in in evangelistic uh, evangelistic techniques. We have to convince others they're sick before we give them with the solution. And in doing right. that, very often we violate uh, Jesus's approach to things. But there is that little meme that went around for a while of the guy that was like, um, it ba I can't remember exactly how it was worded, but it was basically like someone was being evangelized to. And I was like, if you don't tell me, if you don't accept this good news, you're going to go to hell. And, but the guy was like, well, then why did you tell me? Like right. The implications were like, <laughs> right. I was fine before you walked in here. Yeah, exactly. That was never a part of the conversation for me. Right. Oh my goodness. And 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 I know these are all big. Like I could be totally guilty of the hubris, you know, that we were just you know deconstructing whatever. Um, but I'd love to see. I'd love to see counters to this. Um, but I also look at the fruit of that approach. Uh, to the mess that we have and and the fact that we're just digging deeper and re-entrenching along the lines of culture war yeah. I just I think we have to abandon that whole thing if we're going to be purveyors of the kingdom of God yeah and uh, central to that um, culture war project is the idea that the church's job is to influence society and we just would have said no, no, the church's job is to be influenced by Christ yeah and for proof of this, all right, that the exhortations are given to the church. I give you 59 <laughs> one another statements written uh, mostly, almost, almost exclusively in the epistles. So there's this, uh, there's this Greek word that is translated one another or each other. And it's just one word in Greek. And it occurs like 97 times and almost 60 of those are exhortations about how the church is to treat each other. So if you really want, just by sheer weight of numbers, what the New Testament is really concerned about, well, here you go. And guess what? <laughs> We're going to read all 59. All right? And the idea yeah. is that this all takes place between Christian people. Right? Yeah. So here's the focus. Are you ready, Tim? This is like reading rainbow. Don't take my word for it. Don't take my word for it, kids. Here we go. Mark 9, be at peace with one another. Well, if that was the only one, that would take the rest of our lives, right? <laughs> and then in John 13, we get wash one another's feet. You know, it was an act of service. Then we've got love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. And that happens in three chapters in John. Be devoted to one another in brotherly and sisterly love, right? Siblingship is how we've talked about that. Live in harmony or shalom 
with one another. It's in Romans. Love one another, Romans 13. Stop passing judgment on one another because it's hard to love somebody you're passing judgment on. Accept one another then as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. When you come together to eat, wait for each other. That's 1 Corinthians 11. Have equal concern for each other. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, that's end of 1 Corinthians, end of 2 Corinthians. That's serve, not masculine. Serve, yes, there you go. Serve one another in love. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. It's in Galatians. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Carry each other's burdens. We're going to come back to that one. Uh, Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do not lie to each other. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have with one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Love each other. Encourage each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Encourage one another. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Greet one another with a kiss of love. And then in First and Second John, love one another, 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 love one another. So what is the focus of the New Testament? One another. Well, yeah, it seems that way. <laughs> you know? And, and the idea, and, and here's what's so interesting. So this Jordan Peterson character, Attend to Souls. Well, this is what it looks like. Yeah. So there are four or five implications from these that are just so profound, right? And I want to focus on this idea of carrying each other's burdens. Our mutual friend Kevin texted us that and was like, ooh, this is interesting because a lot of African-American theologians will appeal to the white church right, yes. saying, carry each other's burdens. We, we, There is this massive burden we're carrying and you're not helping. And and by the way, these aren't, these one another's aren't pie in the sky like, oh, uh, just have nice feelings for each other. Right. No, 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 no. Like carry one another's burdens. That the implication of that was financial. Like that had financial ramifications. Burden here um, means load or weight, and it's some sort of hardship. But um, there was a financial implication to it that you would help carry each other's burdens. How practical is that? Offering yeah. hospitality to each other, right? I mean, how practical is that? The idea is that that the work of God in the community was the work of shalom making. 
And shalom making in the Old and New Testaments was called righteousness. And righteousness um, uh, and the word justice are the same word in Hebrew and Greek. So literally, the focus of the, the New Testament and the end, the nation of Israel, is something called social justice. All justice is social, right? You can't do justice by yourself. So all social justice, or all justice is social. Um, and the idea is that these one another's <laughs> paint a picture of a kind of community marked by shalom making. Justice yeah. in the Bible can sometimes mean um, punishment, re- re- retributive justice. Um, But often it's restorative justice that's in view. And so when you were reading through the the commands given to Old Testament Israel, they were not pie in the sky, just love your neighbor kind of commands. They were like, listen, if you steal this, this is how much you owe back, right? Make sure you leave at the edges of your fields like grain so the poor people can come and eat them, right? Every seven years, don't plant anything and just trust that I will provide. I mean, so practical. This idea that the cure of souls is something different than social justice is idiotic and so not of the project of Jesus. Um, and, and you get the same vision in the New Testament given to the church. That, that they, the church becomes this orbed, uh, this well-orbed and formed community of reciprocal relationships where and it assumes all the one another's kind of except for the kissing ones assume continued human sinfulness right you wouldn't have to forgive one another and be told that several times unless you were assuming that people were still screwing it up and so the picture we're given is of a community that that bears up shalom and shalom here means social justice yeah now social justice has such that phrase has so many political implications and wokeness and all that craziness. Before we ever got there, this was a biblical concept, that the community of God would be a manifestation of the justice of God. And what's the justice of God? The reciprocal relational dynamics around shalom breaking. Anything that breaks shalom is to be repaired. That is social justice. Yeah. Right? Not, I mean, this is not hard stuff. No. But the but but think about the implications, all right? There are at least four I want to highlight of the fifty-nine one another's. All right, the first is the absolute myth of self-sufficiency. That the American ideal of being a self-made, independent human being who doesn't need anybody, who's just a loner out there with me and Jesus. Come on, that is that is antithetical to the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is we each have something to offer and we each have something to gain. Yeah. Right? That is then but that first definition that you gave, the false one, that is an American masculine ideal. Absolutely. I'm weak for needing anything. I'm weak for feeling anything. I'm weak for showing emotion. And I mean, there is no way. Guys like Jordan Peterson are going to lead us out of this. No. I mean, this, this, it's just more reinforcing of that same old BS. So God bless him. And um, I'm sure there are many things he says that, that um, are helpful. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm sure there are. I don't know where they are. Um, um, but, you know. This is just one of those things where, my goodness, the picture we're given 
is such a different picture. Well, um, can I read the can I read the quote that that Kevin sent us? Yes. As, for a reference point going forward with what you're about to do because it was yep. from Esau Macaulay and the way he wrote it I think was I think it's why it struck a chord with all of us. Yeah. It's hard to be faithful. It's hard to be a faithful multi-ethnic church unless you are committed to justice because having a diverse church includes the Pauline command to bear one another's burdens. If one refuses to bear the burdens of the injustices others suffer, authentic community is compromised. It was a longer thread after that, but Yep. I mean, that's it. Yeah. When when one part of the body of Christ says, "Hey, we're yes. hurting, we're in trouble, we've been oppressed and mistreated," and another part of the body of Christ goes, "Nope, that's just wokeness uh, and CRT and whatever else." That is damnable. Yes. Right? I mean, because you you had that exact situation in the book of Acts. In Acts yes. chapter 6, you had injustice uh, where there were um, Hellenized widows yeah. who were not receiving the daily allotment of food, but he- Hebrew widows were. Yep. And so they complain, rightly so, and they say, this isn't fair. We call that injustice. And so what does the church do? It meets... They set they set seven Greek speaking Greek named people to ensure the care of the Greek speaking Greek named widows, yeah. right? I mean, and that and that shalom making that was injustice, yeah. right? So too with around communion in First Corinthians eleven, the poor were being shut out from the yeah, love yeah. feasts, right? The rich were eating the first food and the best food, and the poor would get the leftovers. And Paul literally says, God is killing some of you because of this, right? I mean, this matters. This isn't some add-on. This is what it looks like to attend to souls, right? Your damn soul doesn't mean a damn thing unless it's in (laughs) these kind of relationships, right? Love God and love others. That's the same command twice. Yep. Yeah. And so, ah, it just is so frustrating because the vision we're giving is so compelling, compelling, and yet we meet all of this artificial and demonic resistance to it in the name of our Christ. Yeah. Right? In the name of Jesus, we're going to neglect part of the body of Christ that says it's suffering. I mean, it's just crazy. So um, the vision we're given here is so threatening um, uh, and so imposing because it's not just showing up at a church, uh, enjoying its religious goods and services, adding a tip, and then just kind of going on my merry way. Yeah. It is becoming neck deep involved in a community where you actually protect and care for each other in very tangible, tangible ways. And that's the caring of your soul right there. Ooh. There so, goosebumps. There is a myth of self-sufficiency that has yeah. to be warred against. This, the me and Jesus, me and my little devotional life, that has to be destroyed and built up. Um, and my 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 little devotional life has a part to play, right? right? But that's it. Only makes sense, and it only um, I only know what to do in relation to the community. Oh man, that if anything that's great about deconstruction, it's like things like that that. I did out of guilt or shame or just like you have to be doing this or you are not Christ-like. You are not being a Christian. But I wouldn't understand why or what the purpose. It's like right. a devotional is bad. Right. It was, the, way, it was the, the soil from which I was trying to plant it was just I didn't get it. 
It's that's so no insightful, Tim. That's so same with prayer. Same with All church attending. Yes. So it's so good to tear this stuff apart to understand if it yes. is good, and and if it is good, how to do it in a way that fits into what you're saying. Yes. So true, man. So true. Well, well said, and great point. Um, there is another implication. Uh, how many of these can be done in a church service? Mm. A few. I mean, which, yeah. Right. Instruct, maybe. Serve one another, maybe. Yeah. But you know, th- these make so much more sense when you're in a smaller, tight knit community. And that's why, of course, we all are burdened with the need for small groups, but we resist them with everything we have, and both are true. Um, At least the way the church is conceived of them. They've always been a priority of the church, and they've never taken off. Um, Because because their invitations in this sort of community life. It's uncomfortable to lower all your boundaries and be especially in cultures where it cultivates that men shouldn't do that. Boom. Just to keep tying it back. Yeah, Jordan. like your man bun. That's right. Tied back. <laughs> um, the third thing is, and I, and, and I know this is obvious, but notice the mutuality and reciprocity at play. Hmm. There is no one group rescuing another group. Right. There is no one group that has the answers and is teaching another group. It is all mutual, all of it. All of it. Instruct one another. Submit to one another. It's all mutual. There is no power structure yeah, in totally. embedded in these. Right? And to those who were given office or gift, the the job of office or gift was to serve the whole. That was it. There was no, if anything, it was to take power under people. It was never to take power over. We've subverted that. Oh, absolutely. It's the, well... It's the masculine pastoral male ideal through yep. CEO capitalism, right? Yep. That that look at what this person has done to their church. Look at this person. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, yeah, I've, I've played into that. I've wanted that myself, and I repent fully. The culture builds that, so it's hard to, especially if you're a young man coming up through seminary and being told that this is what that is. And that this is the most important role, and that this this yes. is you know yes, yeah, and that you're hard that, to rip it all down to a, embody what you're saying. Absolutely, absolutely. Who wants to? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is all great for other people. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, fourth uh, dynamic at play, and we're going to talk about more more about this one next week is the dynamic of siblingship. That we're all, and this is straight from Gombas, and he's wrecked me, uh, but we're all guest recipients at the Father's table. Like mm. our, our identity is that I am a recipient of a gift. And as a recipient, I don't get to determine who else is there. I just, I don't. I'm just there, and I'm grateful that I'm there. Yeah. Um, and what the, what the gospel does, and we'll talk about this, is the gospel levels us out so that those that are thought to be important and significant in the world order are lowered and those that are thought to be insignificant and unimportant in the world order are raised up so that we all participate uh, in mutual siblingship. And then the last implication of these is is the dynamic of social justice that, that we've already covered. 
that the, the image we're given of the 59 one another's as of a group of people that are not bound by economic affiliation or social status or political, um, political uh, things in common, but rather they are bound together by the Lord's table as, the, as gift recipients and as people who've you know, taken up their crosses to follow Jesus and then who engage in communal new creation dynamics that that not only shapes our own souls but it shapes the souls of others as we are with people who we would not choose to ever be with but have jesus in common with that works itself out in all the practices of shalom making reconciliation forgiveness truth telling lament right compassion uh practical generosity and hospitality um and so on and so on and so on and so, you know, the image um, that, that at least pops out of what the church should be is an image that stands in such stark contrast to the practice that I've always engaged in as a pastor, the ego I've always wanted and, and fed as a pastor, but also as a, as a guy, the, the, the vindication and justification of my own existence, you know, um, feeding into an audience and an audience feeding into me, that whole, you know, dynamic just gets destroyed on this accounting. Yeah, we grew up in the 80s where, you know, you are the main character of your story and it's a it's supposed to be a really epic arc. Yes. Yes. It's well, it's that it's that whole like we're hermeneutical narcissists when we come to reading the Bible. The Bible's all about me. It, totally. Yeah. And um, so Christianity's all about me. And it's just like, ah, not so sure about that. And you really want to taste the goodness of Jesus. Um, you orient yourself away from me to others. Now, and again, there are unhealthy ways of doing this and toxic totally. ways of doing this, granted. But there are also really healthy ways and freeing ways and liberating ways of doing this that lead to our flourishing. And that's what we're holding out for. Yeah. And so, um, you know, for me, the big question, okay, so what does it mean to share my faith? Because I do, and I know you do too, want people to encounter this amazing Jesus. Um, well, it means first I bear the name, and my lifestyle bears his name. And so I live without anonymity. I live with an awareness that, um, that I'm never, I, I can never, uh, I never have permission to make enemies. I never have permission to not bless somebody. And I grow into that, certainly. But I bear the name of this crucified Jesus. Um, and, and, and as I'm interacting with people, I'm resisting all of the ways in which I'm trying to be um, over somebody else. Yeah. And instead, I'm, I'm trying to engage the world from a place where I'm not just critiquing, I'm creating, and I'm looking for mutual and reciprocal avenues of blessing, right? Yeah. Absolutely. But also as a community, I'm resisting standing over other communities. Yeah. The gay community, the the black community, the Democrat community, the the illegal immigrants. I'm I'm resisting those same dynamics as a community, and instead, my focus is on being transformed into the image of Christ, not worrying about whether or not anyone else is being transformed. Right. And as as I am transformed into the image of Jesus, I go and dive deeper into. These, this mutual web of relationship that is called the church 
And with all of its attendant issues and problems and failures and disappointments and sins and scars and wounds, absolutely. Not pretending, yeah. not pretending that those aren't there. They're absolutely there. Yeah. Absolutely there. And, yeah. But it's in there, not around them, but it's in there that, that my soul gets attended to. Yeah. So, so if I were giving a message to the church um, um, auspiciously, I would say, um, hey, let's repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as the author of Hebrews says, let's fix our eyes upon Jesus. Yeah. And the rest, the rest is in God's hands. I don't have to control where the country goes. I don't have to control where my kids go. I don't have to control where my friends go, right? The only thing I'm focused on is, um, is being transformed myself into the likeness and image of Jesus. Yeah. And then when I have opportunity to show off how beautiful he is, that's it. That's it. That's it. Well, I would imagine brothers and sisters there, um, there might be some disagreement and pushback and hallelujah. Um, we estimate that roughly 50% of what I say is wrong. For Tim, it's probably 15, 15%. Yeah, I think, well, with many words, the proverb says, sin is not absent. <laughs> That's why I stay quiet. Exactly. <laughs> so I literally am the biggest sinner on the podcast. Um, and so, so, man, push back away. Tell us, teach us about Jordan Peterson and, and what, what he's saying that resonates with people. Um, we've had listeners point back, no, 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 the, the church is to influence society and here are passages that say so. And, um, and right. one, and one of the biggest ones is, well, doesn't Jesus tell us go and make disciples? Um, and, and then my, my answer is yes, but what are disciples? Right. Um, and how did Jesus make them? And what did he mean by go? Oh, did, did he mean... Did he mean um, engage in lots of awkward conversations to have people right. pray a prayer about what happens when they die? <laughs> yeah. Or was how Paul interpreted this and the other apostles that they would go plant churches? Yeah. So um, I don't know. It seems like church planting is if you, if you want to fulfill the great commandment, plant churches. But even then, and then what is a church? What is a church? Yes, Timothy, <laughs> you anticipated it perfectly. <laughs> Are we planning a weekend service? Yeah. You know, that's what I meant when I planted a church. So. Yeah, why is Paul writing all these letters to people to, and what is he saying in those letters and what's the purpose and. Yeah, I don't know. Just, just, read, just read the letters. I mean, if you don't buy this, just read the letters of Paul and totally. tell me who's, who is the focus. Right. Who's the focus? It's not anybody else but the church. And why? And what is his concern within that? And yes. And write down, literally make two columns. I've done this. What are old <laughs> creation dynamics? And what are new yeah. creation dynamics? Right. So when he says, you know, the works of the flesh are like drunkenness and hostility and malice and division. All right. Those go on the old dynamic list. All right. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, joy, patience. Okay. Those are new creation dynamics. All these one another new creation dynamics. I just so make a after, list. Yeah, after we talked about, we were joking about the Seven movie in the last episode, I started thinking about that too with like, a lot of times we hold sins in these weird like esoteric columns 
And but when you watch something like that where it's all played out physically, like this is the result of gluttony. This was the result right, right. of envy. This was the result of anger and lust and these different things. And they're all things that break us literally in in that case, physically break us down as humans. Like Yes. They rob missing, us of humanity. Yeah, missing the mark causes you to be robbed of your humanity. And it's like it's just such a base it's I don't know. It's uh, at the base level. It's such a very simple concept. These things cause you to deteriorate yourself physically and then emotionally and spiritually. But then also that within the community, you see the same kind of degradation that happens and it's not rocket science. Mm. (laughs) It's not just do's and don'ts because it's like, Hey, I need to give you restrictions as the God of the universe. It's like there are actual tangible implications as to what a lot of this stuff does to you. Yes. Yes, yes. Idolatry always breaks down human life. Always. Can't help it. Well said, dude. Well, listen. Thank you, friends. Uh, Love your feedback on this. Sorry I get fired up, but... um, (laughs) Don't be sorry I get fired up. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) I want to thank... What are you laughing at? You should apologize for apologizing. I'm sorry for apologizing, guys. I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm a Midwest guy, and so we apologize for everything. Like if I'm in need and I need help, you know, I will ask and then say, "Hey, sorry to ask, sorry to bother yeah, you." Right. You know, that's just how how we roll. We're the Canadians of America. <laughs> um, I'm sorry that I exist and have needs. My apologies. Right. Um, I want to thank that's though. Old covenant. That's old creation, sorry. That is old creation, baby. <laughs> I want to thank some people who came on our um, support team this week. I want to thank Jonathan and Chris and Luann and Lyle and Sherry. Um, thank you for your incredible generosity. We are, as always, a 501c3 um, nonprofit, and we are crowdfunded, and um, people like you help us do what we do. And uh, we're very excited uh, to continue to do this, we have some things we're thinking about and aiming towards in the future, and all of that is so very helpful. If you're interested, go to patreon.com. You can type in Voxology Podcast, find us there, or go to tithe.ly, <laughs> type in Vox Christian Community, and you can find us there. Or you can just go on the, the tweets, the Facebooks, the Instagrams, and find Timothy there. Um, I am... <laughs> I'm becoming less and less enamored with social media as I get older. And so, Timothy, it's all you, baby. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, thank you guys. And we will see you next time. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you 
for walking the long road with us.